This is the Jason Walker Show. Two-time National Sports Media Association Montana Sportscaster of the Year and three-time loser, the Jason Walker Show. The best local and statewide sports coverage featuring the biggest guests from Montana. Flint Rasmussen uh, joining us here on the Jason Walker Show. He's freaking exhausting, too. You used to dance a lot more. Yeah, I know, lady. I'm 51 years old now. The NAI Hall of Famers Mike Vendee's joining us here Jason Walker Show. And is it just a deal where quarterbacks have to be good golfers? Well, it's all they have time for. They don't work out. They don't lift weight. They don't do anything else. They might as well go get on the golf course and at least have some fun. And from across the country. Doug Gottlieb, our guest here on the Jason Walker Show. End of the day, remember, it, it's your show. It's got your name on it. Howie Mandel, our guest here. Jason Walker. Deal or no deal. The Jason Walker Show. Broadcasting from the Major Mortgage Man Cave. Here's Jason Walker. Yo, happy Tuesday. It is the Jason Walker Show, Inside the Major Mortgage Man Cave. Got a big show coming up today. We're going to talk to Nick McCarvel, the former Capitol Bruin, and uh, currently he does a whole lot of stuff. We love having him on the show. He's a great friend of the show. And we're going to talk about the Olympics and uh, tennis and uh, who knows what else. And also, uh, we'll talk to Jason Ferris, rescheduled from yesterday to today. And uh, it's going to be a fun conversation, which will come up here in just a couple of minutes. Yesterday, we had a whole bunch of people on Facebook Live waiting for Jason Ferris. And hopefully, they get uh, the, the, the news that he's on now. Or it will be in a couple of seconds here. All right. Uh, on this day in history coming up, and uh, we'll tell you what's coming up the rest of the week as well. Big, big shows the rest of the week. But it's not very often that you get to talk to a former beaver, a former bulldog, who's going to be a panther. And his name is Jason Ferris. He is the two-time Frontier Defensive Player of the Year. He is a flat-out stud, and despite the fact that I used to broadcast games for Carroll College, I always appreciated this dude on the football field. Jason Ferris joins us now here on the Jason Walker Show. Jason, how are you? Good, how are you? I am doing great, and uh, first off, you have the best first name in football, so I I mean, I feel right there we have a connection. (laughs) Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> hey, uh, this is really cool. You're on. Uh, you're, you're in Dillon, but uh, congratulations. Uh, you didn't get drafted. I don't know if you expected to get drafted, but take me through the process because there really wasn't many pro days. You got to work out with the pit in uh, Dane Fletcher and Bozeman, but how? How? take me through the process of, of getting to where you were on Saturday. Yeah, uh, we went over, to, or I went over, moved over to Bozeman and started working out at the pit uh, with their uh, trainer over there for the pro day. And then kind of as the state was about to shut down, we had thrown together our pro day about two hours before. Oh, uh, we were just going to work out just on a normal day. And it, it was uh, about a, a week before we were planning on it. So we had only had... Uh, not we didn't have our full week two weeks of tapering from our hard workouts and then the, not the five days leading up to it but it ended up turning out all right and uh minus a little windy but it turned out pretty good for us and i i mean i really wasn't expecting as much as what happened i kind of was just expecting to get an invite into a camp maybe and uh then as things kind of got closer and uh throughout the uh, winter and while I was over there in Bozeman, I a couple teams had reached out for me and started getting draft day information from me on how to get a hold of me. So then I was kind of that's kind of when I thought that maybe that could, there was a possibility that happened. I knew it was still slim, but I was still hoping to get picked up right after it. And then on Friday night of the draft, when I got over, me and my agent had talked, and he had pretty much said that. We're going to get, be getting calls from teams during the draft to possibly get signed as soon as the draft's over, and it'll kind of be a mad dash, and it ended up not happening like that at all. Uh, it was dead <laughs> silent throughout the day. I had texted him and asked if he had heard anything. He said no, and if I had heard anything, and I said no. And So about 45 minutes after the draft got over, uh, he gave me a call and just kind of said it was a tough year for uh, – small school guys like me and that he'll be able to get me into a camp and stuff like that. But he was still waiting on the Carolina GM. And so he gave me, give me a call five minutes later and told me I was going to Carolina. So I was pretty excited. 
Uh, you signed a three-year deal, and that's kind of a rarity, isn't it, for guys that haven't even been invited to camp yet and undrafted free agents um, because you haven't made the team. But they want you bad if they're going to sign a three-year deal, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, it's you still got to go down and make the team and everything, but it's uh, it's a little it's a little below getting drafted and a little above just getting an invite to a camp. So I'm so, I'm really excited about it. When uh, when do you get to find out when you're going to head off to uh, to Carolina? Ah, uh, that's a tough thing right now. Nobody knows. Uh, there, everything down there is up in the air. So right, we're just doing everything virtually uh, currently and. But we're trying to get as ready as we can so that when they say go, every, and we can get down there, we can uh, hit the ground running. Jason Ferris, our guest here, Mike Miller, State Farm Hotline. Um, so how many other teams were you talking with besides the Panthers? Um, I've, there was about half the league, about 15 or 16 teams, had uh, actually had a, a scout come to Dylan and talk to me. And then I had a few more just uh, – on the phone, talk, call me on the phone. And then as it was getting close to the draft, the Colts and the Chargers and the Seahawks all got my draft day information. So, I mean, kind of leading up to it, I figured that I would end up in one of those places. But it uh, turned out that I went to Carolina, which was one of the first teams that actually came to Dillon, and I hadn't talked to them since. So it was okay. kind of a surprise, but pretty exciting. Who was, uh, who was your favorite team growing up? I was a Broncos fan. Oh, Jason. Come on. Um, who was your idols for the Broncos then? Uh, I was a big fan of John Lynch growing up. Oh, yeah. And uh, then for the short time that Clinton Portis was there, I was a big Clinton Portis fan. And, uh, yeah, that, those are kind of the guys that when I was first started uh, watching football and understanding it, that's kind of who the Broncos had. You're not too much of a, I mean, there's not a whole lot of pro guys that come out of Dillon, Montana. Um, what's the response been back home for you? Oh, it's been really exciting. I've, I mean, so many people in the community have reached out to me, and not only just around Dillon, throughout the state. I mean, I had gone to school over in Twin Bridges for a while and just getting support from those guys from around Dillon. I mean, I've been on my phone more these last few days than I have my entire life, so <laughs> it's been exciting. Jason Ferris joining us here, Jason Walker Show. Um, the Ferris family is very athletic, and that includes cousins and brothers and everything. Uh, where do you rank the Ferris family as far as athleticism in the state of Montana? Oh, I don't know. We've got to be <laughs> fairly up there. Uh, but I guess we, we've my sister and my uh, uncle, both were over at MSU. My uncle Rodeo and my sister played basketball. So, I mean, other than that, we haven't had too many Division One athletes. But I uh, feel like we could compete in some backyard basketball with about anybody. Oh yeah, I'm definitely. Um, you uh, you mentioned uh, Peyton um, going overseas to play. Any any uh, have you talked to her much about um, about uh, the ability to handle the pressure? Uh, yeah, she, they're, unfortunately their season got cut a little yeah. short, uh, so they couldn't, uh, make the playoff run, but yeah, she's definitely had some good advice for me and, uh, stuff like that on her process of kind of, as she was getting ready to go overseas and play. So it's been good to talk to her. Um, that family is just big. And I, you know, I mentioned, I, I got to call a bunch of your games while I was doing Carol announcing and. You know, it was always fun to watch, and, and I know you guys ended a big, couple of big streaks against Carroll in the last few years. You know, he hadn't won in 10 years, hadn't won on your home field in a while, and you all did that. Um, there were some great plays against Carroll College that you had. I think my favorite might be the diving interception on the, near, on the, on the sideline in front of the uh, press box. You remember that one? That would have been in front of your bench, right? Didn't you have the... Uh... I don't know about the dive. No, I don't think that would have been me. You had the, uh, the interception one, at the 45 that you ran back for a touchdown a couple years ago. Who uh, had the yeah. Yeah, who had the diving interception then? I thought that uh, was you. I don't know. Uh, no, I had the one up in Carroll uh, where the it was Carroll kind of had, I think there was a short amount of time left on the clock and they were driving 
and their tight end was wide open in the end zone and yep. he and there was nobody around him and kind of as he caught it I got there to hit him and came down with the ball so that's right that was that was uh one that sticks out for me but <laughs> no and then I I had one down in Dillon but uh I didn't return it for a touchdown. Just kind of returned it for about twenty yards. I thought you scored on it because there was a they scored on a pick. Oh, was it them that scored on the pick six? Uh, maybe. Yeah, that's what it was. You guys still won the game though. Yeah, because that, yeah. that was uh, that was was that Jun's first start or second? No, that was his second year. Uh, so this was last year, right? Uh yeah it was it must have been my it was my junior year your junior year so John's first year because yeah I remember yeah. okay the games all flow yeah. together you know that yeah exactly <laughs> yeah they especially when we get uh, just flipping seeds or flipping uh, sides of the season each year and playing them twice so yes like yes. we did our junior and senior year so it definitely rolls together because the one the one game the roads were terrible I think this was have been your junior year. Yeah, yeah, my junior year. And you guys got like seven season. inches of snow before the game started. Uh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Because uh, yeah, your SID Casey Perry was out there uh, on the the thing trying to plow the track and all that stuff. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Hey, you got and to. Then we played a r- real cold one my sophomore year up in Carroll. Yes. The second to last game of the season, and it wasn't snowing, but it was about as cold as it gets. <laughs> That's definite. Yes, yes, I remember that one very well uh, as well. You had a lot of great plays at Western. Which one stands out? Oh, I don't. Jeez, uh, I'd say uh, one of my favorites since we're on the Carroll ones is uh, my freshman year uh, when I when we ended this uh, streak of losing to Carroll in the, kind of the finish of the game. I was I did sack JT Linder uh-huh. who had, had played with me and Dylan. We didn't really play together because he was older than me, but he he was from Dylan and up there and we had always talked and stuff like that. And so to finally end that streak and with sacking him at the end of the game, that one sticks out in my head. <laughs> I like that one. Uh, yeah. He was a pretty good athlete. What is it with the water down in Dylan? Because there's some hellacious athletes that come out of there, both football and basketball. Yeah, I don't know. There's uh, we definitely get a lot of guys uh, going and playing college ball, especially throughout the NAI, and I mean, obviously some Bobcats over there right now. And so I don't know what it is, but we, I guess, we enjoy continuing our playing careers. Well, between state titles and all that, you guys have had a whole lot of success down there in uh, in Beaverhead County. Uh, were you a cat or a Grizz fan growing up? Um, I guess I, I was uh, probably a cat fan, and then uh, my sister had been playing over there, so then I was a, more of a cat fan when she was over there. But was then kind of when I had gone to Western, I just decided I was a full-on Western. And, I mean, you like to see both Montana and Montana State uh, win when they're not playing each other, but when they played each other, I had uh, more buddies over at MSU. <laughs> And so it was a lot more fun to see those my buddies win than the Grizz. So I guess I'm more of a Cat fan. See, now I'm liking you even more, even though you're a Western guy. But at least you didn't go to Tech. So I guess we can we can agree there, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, well, you can agree on that. <laughs> ah, I love it. Hey, man, congratulations. This is really cool. And um, we're, I hope to, to stay in touch with you and, and talk with you before you head off to Carolina once we find out and, and, uh, and stay with you through the process because – you know, you, you were a pleasure to watch for four years in uh, college, and uh, like I said, you, you know, got the best the best name in the business, so um, got to root for you. <laughs> awesome, thanks. That is uh, Jason Ferris joining us. Take care, my man, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Safe travel. Stay safe. Thanks, Zip. That is uh, Jason Ferris joining us on the Mike Miller State Farm Hotline, and uh, what a good kid. Good kid. Great family as well, and... Uh, you know, we mentioned, you know, sisters and cousins and family, dads. I mean, just there's a whole bunch of great Ferris family members. And um, if you missed anything, uh, we'll put it up on JasonWalkerShow.com uh, a little bit later on. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk some Olympics and some tennis and a whole lot of other stuff. As Nick McCarville will join us next, Jason Walker Show. Who doesn't love being number one? When your team's dominating the standings... 
or your favorite band rocks the charts at number one? It feels good, right? Kind of like how it feels when you have auto insurance with State Farm. Because making you feel like number one is an honor your local State Farm agent takes seriously. Through the good times and not so good, your State Farm agent's proud to be here to help life go right. Who doesn't love being... Who doesn't love... Spring is fast approaching and summer is just around the corner. So now is the time to get those windows tinted at Auto Concepts as the sun starts to heat up. Tinting is the best way to keep the sun out of your little one's eyes driving down the road. Plus, it just looks cool. Auto Concepts is your exclusive 3M dealer for tinting as well as the best clear bras in town. Auto Concepts clear bras will not fade or yellow over time. And don't forget about suspension lifts and power steps for your rig too. Visit AutoConceptsHelena.com or check out on Facebook. Auto Concepts, the auto enhancement professionals. Have you thought about buying a home and just don't know where to begin? Well, when it comes to one of the most important purchases one can make, we understand it can be frustrating and confusing, but it doesn't have to be. Let the Major Mortgage Team help you with all your mortgage needs. Major Mortgage means major service, and we would love the opportunity to help you today. Give J.R. McFadden, NMLS number 1246357, a call today at 406-465-1918, or you can visit him at 2001 11th Avenue, Building A, Suite 3 in Helena. Major Mortgage is a division of AMCAP Mortgage, NMLS number 129122, equal housing lender. Yes, it's true that Montana is a long way from the Gulf Coast, but you can bring that Cajun flavor home with a stop at Cafe Zydeco. From po'boys to classic sandwiches, Cafe Zydeco has all the best Cajun in town. Are you in the mood for seafood gumbo or crawfish etouffee? Maybe you're craving jambalaya with some shrimp and grits. Head in for breakfast, lunch, or dinner, or call ahead for pickup or delivery. Cafe Zydeco will fix all your southern cravings, even on a chilly Montana day. Cafe Zydeco is a proud sponsor of the Jason Walker Show. I'm done with this. Thinking about trying something new? The Montana Air National Guard has so many exciting career fields to choose from, many that can open up opportunities in your civilian life. The best part? You'll be getting paid to learn a new trade skill right here at home. What are you waiting for? Let's get you in school and get you paid. Contact Lee Fecto at 406-788-8962. Storewide savings are what you'll find when you shop for new home furnishings at Rutgers Furniture. This means tremendous values on Helena's largest in-stock selection of home furnishings. When you shop records, you'll find store-wide savings on the furniture you want for every room in your home. And you'll also find our selection of Serta Eye Comfort, the most comfortable beds in Helena. 12-month financing is available with approved credit on most purchases over $299. Ask for details. You'll find store-wide savings at Rutgers Furniture, 1010 Dearborn, Helena. Welcome back to the Jason Walker Show. Jason Walker Show on a Tuesday. Big week coming up tomorrow. We will talk to Lindsay Barra, Yogi's granddaughter. Miss Teen Rodeo Montana will join us, Cody Carson. Thursday, former University of Tennessee basketball player Brittany Jackson will join us. And Friday, we'll talk to Dr. Scott Morton, former Bobcat, now working at uh, Missouri. Talk about the psychology of everything that's been going on this uh, last six weeks for athletes. Uh, joining us now, though, on the Mike Miller State Farm Hotline is a great friend of the show and a great friend of my wife, who I met, who I have not met in person yet, but uh, someday will, as Nick McCarville joins us here on the Mike Miller State Farm Hotline. How are you, my friend? Yeah, Jason, I'm good. Thanks for having me. It's uh, great to have you back. So you and I talked about... Six weeks ago or whatever, you were in California. Everything had just been canceled. You were you got home all right safely, but it's been a weird six weeks. How have you been doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's been a, a very strange six weeks. You and I were talking when I was in Palm Springs, as you said, for a big tennis tournament there, and that was right as things were really shifting hugely within the sports world. I mean, that those few days, I think after we talked, they actually, the NCAA tournament and the NBA was talking about no fans and then all of a sudden they, they canceled all of that. So the tennis world was really quickly uh, quick to follow that. I, I mean, the big event that I was in Palm Springs for was 
canceled and people thought maybe that was a one-off Jason. And then, you know, the next thing we know, Miami's done and they were on hiatus through mid-April. And, you know, now we speak six weeks later and we've got no Wimbledon. The French Open has, they are very hopeful that they're going to play in late September. That even looks tough. And now we're talking about could the U.S. Open happen in late August in New York? And um, if it does happen, which I, I think it's going to be really tough for the USTA to pull off, um, I'm going to guess it'd be an event with no fans. Which would be really weird. And I know that tennis and golf are those different sports where the fans are supposed to be quiet during play. But tennis players especially feed off that crowd so much after points. That would be really weird, wouldn't it? Yeah, I, it would be hugely weird. And I was actually just thinking, last year I co-hosted a YouTube show, uh, a live show that we did on the grounds of the U.S. Open for the tournament stream. And um, we just fed off the energy so much even on set, like all the people walking around and going to different matches. And you could tell when Serena or Roger were practicing because, you know, a million people would stream by where our set was near the practice courts because they wanted to get a glimpse of one of the greats, Rafa too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know, uh, these sporting events, they feed off of uh, fans in seats. And, you know, I think in the biggest of sports, I work in pro tennis, um, you know, the big money is made off of TV contracts. So you can still have these events and sell it to sponsors as a TV product. But um, it, it would be very very strange and we've seen a couple models i don't know if you've talked about this on the show of in taiwan in chinese taipei they've had a few pro sports including baseball and basketball that have continued i spoke with one of my colleagues in singapore who said that that's kind of been the model for pro sports but the problem that tennis has that i think golf has a similar problem is the game so international so even if you have the u.s open with no fans you're still asking a couple thousand people from all over the world to come converge on New York City. Um, I just don't know if we are four months from being able to do that right now with COVID-19 and, and where our society sits. No, it's very weird. And, and, you know, I, and, you know, we're talking tennis, but we don't know if there's going to be American Legion baseball still. We don't know if there's going to be um, college football or pro football. We just, like we talked, you know, we've talked so much about this. We just don't know where we're going to be in four months. The Olympics got canceled and, or postponed rather, moved to uh, next year. And uh, Nick, it's, it's weird because I think people expected it. But once that news came down, you know, last month, it was really kind of a mind blowing thing that, oh, we're not going to have the Olympics this year. And that includes the tennis. Yeah, yeah. I mean, tennis is obviously part of that Olympic program. I mean, I mean, the big ones, I covered gymnastics when I was in Rio in 2016. That was meant to be my beat again this year, Jason, as gymnastics coverage. Um, you know, and actually just today, uh, there was an Olympic official that came out and said, if things aren't taken care of better, if we haven't made good progress in social distancing and a vaccine and testing and all of these sort of, you know, political hot words that have been thrown around. But when you really think about it from a sporting perspective, they've got to have a handle on all of that to bring the world together. And that's what the Olympics is. And and this official came out today and said that if all of that isn't, if there's not a good handle on it leading up to 2021 in Tokyo, then they're going to have to pull out, cancel the Summer Olympics, which would obviously be unprecedented I mean, I, I, of course, none of us would want that to happen. But the last thing you want to do is to bring the world together and then watch everyone go home and this whole thing flare up again. And that's kind of the mini conversation we've been having in Montana. And I've watched it um, from afar, from New York, where I live now full time. Um, You know, it, it is going to be a long way back for all of us, but I think especially for sports. And then when you look at international sports, sports that involve international athletes that are very global, I think that's going to be even tougher in and of itself. And the Olympics would kind of be the end-all, be-all, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the event. And already the IOC has a tough ask in, usually you've got a quick turnaround from the summer games to the winter games. 
you usually have about 16 to 18 months. Well, now they're going to have seven months right. from Tokyo 2021 to Beijing 2022. So that's already quick. But um, yeah, you just feel for these, you feel for everyone. There's so many people that are in need right now, but you feel for um, the sporting organizers. And I think, you know, Wimbledon was probably forced to play their hands a little bit earlier than they wanted. The USDA has said that they want to make their decision in June. I think they're going to have to make their decision in May because there's just too many moving pieces with these big events. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I, I mean, it is anyone's guess in April of 2021, if you and I are going to be talking about Tokyo, full bore, let's go. It'll be a great coming together of the world. Or if we're talking about the Olympics being historically canceled because of this persistent virus. Nick McCarvel joining us here, Jason Walker Show. There's so many questions with that answer you just gave me. One, should Beijing have it pulled for the Winter Olympics in two years? Um, because this COVID-19 originated in China. Um, so should that be uh, uh, pulled? Um, I want to talk so much about this tennis summer that's not happening yet as well. So um, let's start with Beijing. Should should they hold the Winter Olympics? Well, I, you know, it's a loaded question. I, I don't <laughs> think that, fair, but it's a fair question. I don't think, no. I don't think that because of where this virus came from, that the international community should say, Beijing, you, you don't deserve to hold the Winter Olympics. I mean, it, it's a really tough situation all around. And actually, before COVID-19, before this coronavirus, there was talk, there was a lot of political pressure on Beijing and on China because of China has been accused in a lot of ways of um, mishandling a lot of its residents, a lot of its citizens, mm -hmm. that um, the Uyghurs, that uh, they put them in camps. Uh, you know, so there's, there's a lot of political issues always with China. Um, but I, but I think that, you know, you look at like when I went to Sochi in 2014 for the Russian, uh, winter Olympics, then there were so many hot topics around Russia. The same happened to Rio. Um, Japan's kind of skirted those issues a little bit more, but it'll be interesting. You know, you bring that up and I sort of have the first tendency to say no, that they shouldn't be punished for as much. But I don't know what the political atmosphere is going to be in the next 12 to 18 months, certainly. Very true. Uh, Nick McCarville joining us. You mentioned Wimbledon, and let's go back to that. They were the first to cancel, and then we had uh, the French Open uh, move to September, and you mentioned that may not even happen yet. But when the French Open moved, that really upset a lot in the <laughs> tennis world because they just kind of did their own thing and didn't talk to anybody else about it. Uh, that is correct. <laughs> um, so what have so your friends it, in the tennis world had to say about it? Well, you know, they upset a lot of people. They really did. And tennis is complicated. I mean, every sport is complicated when you look at the boardroom deals and who's in charge of what and, and those different mechanisms. But tennis, we call it the alphabet soup because you have the four grand slams. Those are the big tournaments that, you know, if you're a listener right now in Helena or a watcher, you would know the Australian Open, French Open, Wimbledon, the U.S. Open. Well, then you've got the two tours, which is the women's tour and the men's tour. Mm -hmm. And then, Jason, you also have the ITF, and they kind of oversee everything, especially the grand slams. Well, the French Open, uh, I, for them, it was basically like, we can't have the French Open in late May. We need to have the French Open to provide funding for French athletes, to provide jobs for the people that we employ for three weeks, four weeks each year. Um, they've undergone a huge capital campaign at the FFC to put a roof over center court so that they could have TV matches during rain delays, which are very common in springtime uh, Paris. Uh -huh. So, yeah, no, they ruffled a lot of feathers, and it was kind of a coming together of the tennis world thereafter. That, that event is set to happen the week after the U.S. Open finishes in late September. Um, uh, but again, it's like, who knows if any of these events, what's going to happen in the next four or five months. Um, but, yeah, the FFC, the French Tennis Federation, um you know, they were taking care of themselves. And I think what we've learned maybe in the last six to eight weeks is that these 
organizing bodies, these sports, these, and even with government officials now, it's like everyone has to come together and work together. And that's why it's so unknown, even with the U.S. Open. It's like, well, the USTA, of course they want to have the U.S. Open. Of course they do. Sure. But if Cuomo, if Governor Cuomo and President Trump and the mayor of New York City, Bill de Blasio, says we can't have international tennis coming to New York, it's not up to the USTA. It's up to them. Right. Nick McCarville, our guest here. All right, so let's say, let's say everything starts. Let's say we have the U.S. Open. And it runs off, you know, without a hitch, and uh, we'll say, you know, Federer wins it on the men's side, and uh, Coco Goff wins on the women's side. Okay? <laughs> now, <laughs> and one of those is probably more realistic than the other. But you have the French you mean Open. Coco winning is more likely than Rod? i got to go with Fed, man. I'm still a Fed believer. Um, <laughs> but, yes, Coco would have a great chance. Um, but – with the French then starting a week later, how would that affect those that play in the second week of the U.S. Open, especially older guys, or older folks, let's say like a Serena or a Roger or Rafa even, that immediately then a week later they've got to turn around, get their body ready for a completely different style of court and travel as well. How would that take place? Well, it's, yeah, I, I mean... It's so crazy to talk about what if right now, and this is something that tennis really hasn't faced. And, you know, you're also talking about these athletes coming off of a break that they've never had. For a lot of people, I think that's a good thing. You know, I think it's great that they're having a chance to heal up some injuries. And I spoke with John Isner on a tennis show that I co-host a couple weeks ago. He's the number one American. He's been a Grand Slam semifinalist, and he said, you know, no tennis player, no pro athlete is ever 100% all the time. So this is giving them some of that opportunity to heal their bodies. But then if they come back in the late summer, you make a deep run at the U.S. Open, and then you're asked to go play your first round at the French Open in 10 days. Uh, uh, you know, that is, that's pretty crazy. Oh, yeah. um, not, you know, just thinking about moving your entire team to Paris. And then also, Jason, are we going to be in a place where if you go from New York to Paris, in the time span of 10 days, you have to be under two-week quarantine at a hotel to make sure that you don't have COVID-19, that you're symptom-free. So, you know, <laughs> even if you look at just like the phys physical ask of something like that, that's going to be really, really tough for someone, say, like Rafa, Novak Djokovic, Serena, Simona Halep, Ashley Barty, Petra Kvitova. Um, Dominic Team has gone deep at both those tournaments. Someone like Coco Goff, she's 16 now. She's going to have. She's gonna be a little more spry. If she makes a deep sure. run at the U.S. Open, she's going to be roaring to go in Paris. Someone like Serena or Roger, who the body needs a little more time to recover, that's a really tough ask because if you ask anyone in tennis, the toughest major to win physically is the French Open because of the clay, because the ball doesn't carry through the court as well. Mm -hmm. And Paris in late September is pretty chilly. So that makes it even harder to work your body through those cooler conditions, heavier conditions, we would say in tennis. Um, yeah, watch this space. If, if, that, if that comes to be, for me, I, I'm happy because we've got two big tennis tournaments in the span of four weeks. But um, that's a really tough ask on the athletes. Well, you, when we, we talk about the older athletes in the in the sport of tennis, you know, like a Serena, like a Rafa, a Roger, with the Olympics being moved, does that benefit them? Because that's a big, you know, Roger wants to play in one more, and, you know, that's a big ask to do the, you know, to have that next year. Does this give him, with this time off, does that give athletes like that a better chance of the Olympics next year or no? Well, I think it's a double-edged sword. You know, if we talk specifically about, you know, a couple of athletes that your listeners and viewers will be really familiar with, Serena and Roger are both hungry for more Olympic hardware. Roger still doesn't have a gold medal, at least in singles. He's won a gold medal in doubles. Right. Um, and a lot of people felt like when he signed with Uniglo, which is a Japanese company, that they, somewhere in that contract, it was written in that he was going to play to at least through Tokyo 2020. Well, now it's Tokyo 2021. So I think it's good in the sense that you, for these older athletes that they have the time off, they're resting, and that uh, it won't be as compact. The Olympics followed right by the U.S. Open. 
But I also think like this was a great year for Serena to try to win Grand Slam number 24. That would have tied that all-time record. It was a great year for Federer to try to win Wimbledon. He was, he was a point away twice last year. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry to remind any Federer fans out there. <laughs> but I think it's a double-edged sword because they get the rest time. That's good. But then you're asking them to play a year later. Um you know, they're both going to turn 39 next year. So, uh, you know, that's, that's a, that's just a tough ask overall, because when you're a professional athlete like that, you, you just, I don't know. I don't know the rigors of the body. You, you speak to athletes all the time as well. And, um, excuse me, they're actually both going to turn 40 next year, Jason. Oh, so yeah, I just, uh, it would be days before Rogers 40th birthday. I think the tennis, final would be so anyway um yeah double-edged sword for the older athletes for sure well and you know you look at like i said let's say everything starts to happen so we have the u.s open and then we go right into france or paris and then a couple of months off until the australian open but then you would have paris again in may next year and then the what the wimbledon and then the olympics or would wimbledon and the olympics fall together I guess it would be a yeah, Wimbledon no. right yeah. into the Olympics, then right into the U.S. Open. So having this time off, but then you'd see a lot of those players next year, if this stuff starts to happen, like I just said, then they're probably going to miss bigger tournaments. I mean, we could see an Australian Open with some of these older players not in it because of the rest that they would need, right? Or am I, or am I just throwing stuff out because it's that what if that we have no idea? Well, it's a, it's a what if for sure. And I actually think, you know, the, the bigger question is, I see what you're saying. The, the older athletes, the, the top tennis players, their priority is the big events. So actually what I think it does is it hurts the smaller events. Because if you get to play in with the U.S. Open and the French Open this fall, great. But then if we have more tennis tournaments this fall, they are going to pack the schedule to try to get Anything they can, you know, is Indian Wells, the tournament I talked with you from six weeks ago, is that going to be held in November? Right. Because they want their, they want an event in 2020. So then you have this whole rush towards the end of the season. Usually tennis is off at least for six weeks, November, December. Do they try to pack new events before the Australian Open to get some of, you know, does the Italian Open move? to Perth, Australia, uh, you know, who knows? But if, if the players can all get there before the Australian Open. But to your point, I think the athletes are going to p- try to peak for those big events. Um, and it's, it's just so hard to tell. The other thing that's built into tennis is that long gap between the Australian Open, which is usually in January, to May, which is the French Open. But you're right. You've got the French in May. Wimbledon in late June, the Olympics in late July, the U.S. Open in late August. That's a lot of tennis in four months for these quote-unquote older players, right. for any player. And so that's a pretty packed summer schedule. Nick McCarville, our guest here, Jason Walker Show. All right, you mentioned you were going to cover the gymnastics beat at the Olympics in Tokyo. Um, what does the U.S. look like for next year now? But what did the team look like going into this year? Yeah, I, you know, Simone Biles had taken some time off after Rio, after she set the records that she did, and, and the U.S. women really swept the gymnastics event in Rio. Mm-hmm. And Simone Biles, I, I think, I hope, Jason, has become a, a household name for people. Um, Allie Raisman decided not to come back after success in both London and Rio. Um, you've got athletes like Lori Hernandez who are trying to make their push back. I think this delay to, to Tokyo helps her if she's serious about her comeback. The U.S. women are far and away the best gymnastics program in the world. And let's not forget to mention that the U.S. women's team has been through uh, terrible atrocities yes. with Dr. Larry Nasser and what he was essentially allowed to do in that team for so long. But the U.S. women are very strong. They'd be gold medal favorites for all you gymnastics fans. And then the men just kind of follow, they fall middle of the pack. Um, Sam McCulloch's still around. There's some up-and-coming guys that are, are really talented. Um, there was hope for them, Jason, in Rio to win a medal. They were fifth 
Um, and I, I think that right now I, I haven't been following the men quite as close, but I think they'd fall right about there right now. So the women are, are really kind of the prime time, you know, if, if you're watching NBC next, next summer, next Tokyo 2021, hopefully we've got it. They're really going to go hard on, on focusing on the women because of how strong Simone and the rest of the team are. They're still going to be pressured by China, right? I mean, China's that, that gymnastics girls team. And I say girls because they are, um, they're not really, you know, women. I know they've changed some rules over the years, but China's still pretty tough. Would that be America's or, or Russia? Would that those two uh, threaten the U.S. women? Yeah, you know, there's there's a whole, uh, you know, gymnastics has been interesting to watch the way that things. At one point, it was Romania was kind of the end all be all team um, in how they dominated. Uh, especially women's gymnastics. Um, but for at least for the last um, 15, 20 years, it's been the Americans who have really risen up. In the most recent world championships, you're right. Russia was second. China was third behind the U.S. women. Canada has a pretty good program. So does France, Japan, Brazil. Um, but no, I just have to say it's like, you know, everyone's been enjoying the last dance on ESPN. Right now, the U.S. gymnastics program is like the mid-90s Bulls. Simone Biles is Michael Jordan, and maybe even more so. They are just head and shoulders above the rest of the world. And so it would be, they'd be leading the pack, and they'd have to, they could take their B team, they could take their JV team, and I still think that they could win an Olympic gold medal. Wow, they're that far ahead of it, the rest of the world in gymnastics. Oh, yeah. Oh, man, that's yeah. just crazy yeah. to think about. Uh, <laughs> all right, Nick, so let's have some fun now. So um, what have you been watching, binge-watching here? Yeah, well, I just mentioned I've definitely been binge-watching Last Dance. Um, we, we've watched the first three. I need to watch the fourth. Um, Tiger King has <laughs> uh, caught my eye, I think, the rest of the world. And then um, – I have been watching Designated Survivor with Keith or Sutherland. It's an older one, yep. but um, yeah, it's a good one. Good drama. What season are you on? Because Tori and I watched that from day one, and then we were bummed. And when it finally went to Netflix, it came back. We binge watched the final episodes last year out in DC. Um, what What do you like? What do you like about? I mean, what do you think of it? I guess. I like the drama. Um, I needed something that was like kind of realistic and fast moving, but still have that TV TV cheese. Sure. Um, so uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm still I'm I think I'm 12 episodes in. I'm still okay. in season one, so I've got a lot a long way to go. Oh yes, you do. There's a lot of stuff that's going to come <laughs> up. <laughs> um, yeah, I got in. It's 2020. I didn't know that Ozark. I've I, I've got through the first season, and and now I'm on midway through the second season with Jason Bateman. I had no idea this was a show, and all of a sudden, that's what everybody's talking about. So I finally started watching it. Have you watched all, Ozark yet? All my friends are obsessed with Ozark. I have not watched it, and I'm not about to start. Sort of, it's pretty dark, right? It's it's not necessarily an uplifting show. It's not. Um, I've, chosen, <laughs> I've chosen not to watch that in the midst of a pandemic. No. Okay. Um, okay. So yeah, the first three episodes were kind of boring, and I was like, eh. But then it really it really heated up, and it is very dark. Don't watch it around any children. Speaking of children. Uh, we've got the two-year-old. She'll be two on Friday. A lot of Frozen, Frozen 2. Have you watched any Disney Plus stuff? Well, my two nieces are here with me. So I live in New York. I've come back to Montana. Our parents have a place here uh, on the west side, which is great. Mm -hmm. um, the house I grew up in. So we've got also some family here. I've got a couple nieces. So this morning we were doing some arts and crafts, and don't you doubt that Frozen 2 was on repeat, for sure. <laughs> okay, which I've been designated. I've been designated Olaf, which I I don't know if that's an honor or a snub, but I, I am Olaf in the family. Uh, well, at least you're not Hans, which is good. Um, so do you like Frozen 1 or Frozen 2 better? I actually thought Frozen 2 was kind of a little dark, speaking of well, darkness. Yes. Um, no, I listen, I, I love it for the kids. And fun fact, Jason, I actually know the guy who voiced Hans in the first movie, he's a Broadway actor, a friend of mine, and he is a really nice guy. Don't tell your kids, but he's a nice guy. Well, because Tori and I have talked to him. I don't like him. 
And <laughs> like in the first one, he, he, him and Anna sing that, you know, that duet together. And it's like, I, I wanted to like it. I can't you know, listen to that song now because he's such a, he's just a not nice guy in the movie. <laughs> this was not, I didn't think we were going to go like dissect frozen on the Jason Walker show. <laughs> hey, there's no sports to talk about, Nick. We're talking about a lot of stuff uh, here on the Jason Fair Walker enough. show. Um, all right, so Designated Survivor, I like that. That's a great one. Um, I'm trying to think. I did not watch Tiger King. I couldn't get into it. I tried. I just I, I gave up after like an episode, and I know there's only like five. Um, but, yeah, I, since Tori works during the day, I've, I've got the little one, so her and I have watched a lot of Frozen and Frozen 2. Um, Lilo and Stitch is another one. I've never, yeah, so I need to do that one. There was a lot of Moana happening in our house uh, in the last few weeks, and then we went ahead and rented Onward one night, and I really liked that one. That's okay. a good one. I haven't watched that. Um, yeah, those three, uh, really, and Sesame Street, of course, but uh, <laughs> did you? I should text you the number. There's a Disney hotline you can call for the little ones, and you'll get, like, uh, Mickey to say goodnight or Donald Duck to say goodnight to the to the to the little ones, so we should get... Oh, yeah, hit, hit me up. I'd, I'd be a favorite. Maybe I'd be elevated to Kristoff if I had that phone number versus where I am right now, a bottom dweller as Olaf. <laughs> All right, let's go back to Hans real quick, the, the guy that plays Hans. You mentioned he's a Broadway actor and he's a good friend of yours. What else has he been in? You know, I don't think he's done any other voicing. Well, I, I shouldn't say that. Um, I don't know if he's done voicing for other shows. His name's Santino Fontana. Um, he's actually from the Tri-Cities. He's been a, a big star on Broadway. He was in Cinderella. Um, he was just in a Broadway show this past fall. The name's escaping me. But um, I know Santino pretty well, and um, I'm good friends with his wife. Um, and he's a fantastic guy. And I love the, the cool thing for me, like being in New York is, you know, these big Disney hit movies, the A-list actors, you know, like Trolls, you had uh, Jace, uh, Justin Timberlake was a voice in Trolls. And I just like these Broadway actors that have outstanding voices and can do it just as well as the big stars. And so he got, I mean, that was a good opportunity for him when it came about. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it becomes like the biggest grossing Disney movie ever. So not a, not a bad gig, I don't think. No, definitely not. And you mentioned the, the Broadway singers, Idina Menzel, um, fantastic singer, great actress, I believe. But I'm a fan of Anna. I think Anna sings better as Kristen Bell sings better than Idina Menzel. And I, I'm totally off base there, but that's just... <laughs> I mean, I don't think Kristen Bell's done a whole lot of Broadway stuff, has she? I don't think so. Yeah, Idina Menzel, Idina Menzel, I at least know, is obviously she was in Wicked and she's had a long Broadway career. Um, I don't know the IMDb on Kristen Bell. <laughs> so you spend a lot of time in New York, obviously, because that's where you live. But uh, what is a Broadway show like? Because the wife obviously wants to go someday and and whatnot, and we'll probably crash at your pad, which is, I think, a, you know, one bedroom. But, hey, we're all family. Um but what's a Broadway show like that that night when you're going to to dinner and a show with Broadway? Explain that. Well, I actually want to bring it back to Helena too. My so I live actually in a two bedroom um, with uh, a guy named Kurt Crowley who's from Helena. Um, his parents are Bonnie um, and Frank Crowley. Frank was a lawyer. Bonnie is a nurse. Um, and Kurt is a musician on Broadway. So he was in the music and he was in the pit. He was in the orchestra pit for Hamilton for years. Oh. Um, and going to a Broadway show is fantastic. I mean, you know, you like, if you like big time sporting events, I think you'd love a Broadway show because the production value when you go in person is fantastic. You, yeah, you, I usually go to Joe's pizza on 44th <laughs> near eighth Avenue in in the Broadway district and get a slice of, pizza it's an old converted church joe's pizza and then yeah you you go to the theater and you know it's, it's cool uh, i don't know what it'll look like post covid 19 but the, the theaters are packed and you've got tourists from all over the world and these actors are incredible you know the movement and the dancers and the singing and the lights and it really is artistic expression i think um in its fullest and most pure and 
Um, I love to, I have a lot of good friends who are Broadway connected and I, I'd love to see that world come back too, but they've got the same challenge that sports have in trying to bring yeah. people back into these cramped theaters. Um, but it, it's sensational. And I, I think one thing people don't quite realize about Broadway shows is you're not only watching a musical with the, the singing and the acting, but usually a lot of the Broadway folks that I know, guys and girls, are fantastic dancers. You know, you have, I have a friend, Ryan, who's made his career dancing on Broadway. And he does, he did Chicago for years. He was just in a show with Bette Midler. Um, you know, and they're athletes. And yep. what they're able to do eight shows a week is killer on the body. And they're able to do that for, you know, months and then years on hand. It's crazy. Nick, we appreciate it, uh, uh, as always. Uh, could you got a good story that we can tell on the air about my wife? <laughs> I always remember about Tori that she, um, I think 50% of her T-shirts in middle school were Michael Jordan themed or based. Um, I also think she shares a birthday with Michael Jordan. Is that right? They're uh, two, two days apart. Two days apart. Yep. Okay. Um, and then... Uh, she was a sensational basketball player, pure shooter, um, and we shared first period English together and uh, senior year, and we sat next to each other, and uh, I- I'm not sure who talks more in class, me or her, but uh, yeah, good good, mem- good memories there with, with TJ. Yeah, but there's not a, you got, well, like a, a, an embarrassing story where you can tell about her? I'm failing you right now, Jason. I, I don't know if I have an embarrassing. Um, I don't think she had very many embarrassing moments, but this oh. is my embarrassment as I'm not able to dig up the good one. I, I, I've, okay. I've failed under pressure. Well, okay, just so think about it for next time you're on, and okay. we'll, you'll, I'll have to get an embarrassing story. Now, we'll talk, I'm going to ask will, her. We'll talk in, yeah, we'll talk in six weeks. How's that? Oh, you're going to get an embarrassing story on me. Perfect. There's plenty of those. <laughs> Yeah, but you're it's such a great tennis enough. player that, uh, um, you know, I've got fans tuned in right now on Facebook just because you were coming on because you're a former uh, Bruins standout. Well, it's been really fun for me to be back in, in Helena, and I've, I've gone down and hit against the wall a couple times at the Civic Center, and we're not meant to be playing tennis right now um, because of where we are with the pandemic. But it is springtime in Montana. I haven't done this in – 16 years, Jason. I'm aging wow. both Tori and myself. Um, so it's been fun. I, I even woke up this morning and it kind of felt like one of those warm spring days and it brought back like a smell memory of, you know, just playing tennis and we had cross town on Tuesday afternoons and um, yeah, there was, there was some good tennis being played around these parts. The Crowley family and Tim Buswell and myself and um yeah, I'm, I'm bummed for these high school athletes oh. that are that are not able to play their spring sports. It's just not fair, but it's what we have to do right now. Well, it's always a pleasure to chat with you, and uh, look forward to talking Thanks, soon. And you can come on anytime, my friend. Just give me a call. We'll get you on anytime you want to talk, chat. <laughs> So, okay. All Thanks, right. Jason. Nick, Take appreciate care. it. Yep, that is Nick McCarville joining us here on the Mike Miller State Farm Hotline, and. Uh, Love uh, love talking to to Nick and getting his thoughts on a lot of different things, especially uh, in the world of sports, because he covers great sporting events and great athletes. And uh, always appreciate Nick coming on. Uh, all right, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We have On This Day in History. We have uh, the walk-off. And who knows what else? We'll just throw it out there. The last segment brought to you by our friends at Rutgers Furniture. Coming right back. Storewide savings are what you'll find when you shop for new home furnishings at Rutgers Furniture. This means tremendous values on Helena's largest in-stock selection of home furnishings. When you shop Rutgers, you'll find storewide savings on the furniture you want for every room in your home. And you'll also find our selection of Serta Eye Comfort, the most comfortable beds in Helena. 12-month financing is available with approved credit on most purchases over $299. Ask for details. You'll find storewide savings at Rutgers Furniture, 1010 Dearborn, Helena. During this time of uncertainty and stay-at-home orders, Dinners Done Right wants to remind you that they're still open. Just go to dinnersdoneright.com, place your order, and then pick it up for dinner that night. Or plan ahead and order for the weekend. It's easy. Visit dinnersdoneright.com, register, pick your meals, then pick them up. 
or stop in and grab meals out of the front freezer. Dinner's done right. It's taking extra precautions with extra cleanings going on with every piece of equipment and personnel. Dinner's done right. Thanks you for your continued support. And may we all stay safe and healthy during this time. Welcome back to the Jason Walker Show. Welcome back, Jason Walker Show on a Tuesday. Big thanks to Nick McCarville for joining us. Also, Jason Ferris today. Make sure you get on the schedule for Nitro Grade. They get to take care of all your lawn, pest, and tree needs. Nitro Green, Helena.com, 443-5088. Also, speaking of green, Green Meadow Country Club. Uh, got the... Uh, Demo day coming up, May 8th from noon to 6. you got to call and make an appointment. First, you got to become a member and tell them you heard it on the Jason Walker Show. And speaking of hearing it or seeing it on the Jason Walker Show, if you make an appointment and go to uh, Demo Day on May 8th uh, and uh, buy something, tell them you heard it on the Jason Walker Show and uh, just just do it because I, I think you'll probably get a deal. Uh, tell, them, tell them, though, that you, you like this show. All right, uh, sign up at Green Metal Country Club, um, and who doesn't like this show? Seriously. And if you know someone who doesn't, then I'd like to talk with them. Let's convince them to follow and like this show. By the way, JasonWalkerShow.com uh, has all of our great links to our great sponsors as well as where to watch and or listen. You can watch on Facebook and YouTube Live, rewatch on the website. You can listen live, Podbean, Network One Sports, um, TreasureStateRadio.com. And coming very soon, more ways to listen and uh, go from there. All right, so let's do uh, On This Day in History, brought to you by the Motherload Sports Bar and Casino and Restaurant. They will be opening back up May 4th, which is fantastic. Uh, on this day, April 28th, it is National Blueberry Pie Day. It is also National Great Poetry Reading Day and National Superhero Day. Should have asked Nick his favorite superhero. Um I think my wife's is Thor, the real guy, not the uh, not the actual superhero. But all right, this date in 1930, the first night organized baseball game was played in Independence, Kansas. Uh, Warren Spahn, at the age of 41, pitched a second no hitter on this date, 1961. Billy Martin was named the New York Yankees manager for the fourth time on this date, 1985. Uh, 2007 NFL Draft, LSU quarterback Jamarcus Russell was the first pick. By the Raiders. Who was the worst bust in the NFL? Was it Jamarcus Russell or was it Ryan Leaf? Happy birthdays today, Harper Lee. To kill a mockingbird. And uh, go settle. What was that other one? Go settle Watchman. Uh, was born on this date in 1926. She passed away four years ago. 1941. Happy birthday, Anne Margaret. 79 today and still looks good. She was born in Sweden. Did you know that? Uh, 1960, uh, Tom Browning, who pitched the perfect game in 1988, was born in Casper, Wyoming. He was pitching for the Cincinnati Reds, who coincidentally their star, Barry Larkin, was born on this date in 1964. John Daly's birthday is today, the uh, Open winner in 1995, also the PGA Championship in 91. And happy birthday to Penelope Cruz, born on this date in Madrid, Spain in 1974. Uh, and, uh couple of uh, deaths on this date. Jim Valvano. We talked to his brother Bob on Friday. It's been 27 years since Valvano passed away. Uh, died of cancer on this date in 1993. He was 47. Jack Ramsey, the Hall of Fame basketball coach and uh, announcer, won an NBA title with Portland and Bill Walton in 1977. He died on this date in 2014. And Conrad Burns, former senator from Montana, passed away at the age of 81 on this date in 19. 19- or in 2016, rather, uh, so four years ago. Uh, on this day in history is brought to you by the Motherload Sports Bar, Casino and Restaurant, reopening back up on May the 4th. We're almost at the end of the show. What did we learn? And what did he miss? Time for the walk-off. Big show today. Thanks to Jason Ferris joining us, the future Carolina Panther. Nick McCarville talked all things Olympics, tennis, Disney, Broadway, too. That was fun. Thanks, Nick. 
Tomorrow on the show, we'll talk to Yogi Berra's granddaughter, Lindsay Berra, and Miss Teen Rodeo Montana, Cody Carson, will join us as well. Uh, thank you. The walk-off is brought to you by Cafe Zydeco. Call ahead. Go support all of our great, great sponsors. We'll see you back here tomorrow for Jason Walker Show. The Jason Walker Show is produced by the Jason Walker Media Company. Any reuse, rebroadcast, or retransmission without the express written consent of the Jason Walker Show is strictly prohibited. Just listen, watch, and enjoy.